I'm going to save something for the end of the show. <laughs> you have something planned, Andrew? Uh, n- nothing big. I, I, I was debating whether I start with it or, or finish with it. <laughs> Whatever it is, it just sounds dirty now. <laughs> How's your week in jujitsu? It's good. We're finishing up um, X-Guard and then starting X-Guard passing next week. Yeah, this week is the end of X-Guard and we're doing basically a... If you can't sweep them one way, pull them down with a sleeve and transition to a knee bar, Ashi or knee knee bar. bar, and then we go to Ashi and attack the leg locks and recover from there. Has it been decided yet what we're doing? I think the overwhelmingly vote is for half, which would half. which would make sense. It's too bad no one said De La Hiva because if they did, it would I would then in my head go oh because they all listened to our De La Hiva episode right and thought. I want to learn that. Right. We, we, you know, or maybe I, they listened to it and thought, I know it. Well, and that's the, what... The, th- the funny thing is, like, we're at the point, like, you know, when you get to, like, when you cover Butterfly, X-Guard, and Half-Guard, you're essentially at such a... All three of those guards are so variant that you can, you know, easily go from one guard to the other. So after Half, we'll probably go De La Hiva back to koala shen on shen and then you know do all sorts of stuff butterfly and koala guard are the least intimidating sounding of guards absolutely can you think of any other worm worm doesn't worm sound. worms also yeah Wor- worms not intimidating it just sounds kind of creepy goofy, and goofy and, yeah. yeah but koala if you're if you're talking to someone at work and you want to impress them and go yeah, we're just doing stuff at jiu-jitsu. Oh, what do, you, what do you guys do? Well, this week we're working on Koala Guard. Yeah, it well, doesn't look very impressive either. Yeah, what's Koala Guard? Well, you know when you were a kid and your dad was going to like like go do something and you'd like grab his leg and like you'd hang on to it? Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that doesn't sound cool. Well, you're, you're right. You know what? Last week, though, we worked on Butterfly Guard. Yeah. What's Butterfly Guard? Well, you put your you sit down and you put your feet like right under the other person's crotch and asshole yep and then you just keep your toes active the whole time keep your toes active. you just tickle them yeah you just tickle right. their butthole right <laughs> that it'll make the move <laughs> at, at that point the person goes okay i i thought you did karate but it sounds like this is much worse yeah, and they just walk like away some sort of bondage <laughs> <laughs> everyone welcome to episode 16 the big 16 which in brazil i found out 16 is a holy number can be i made that up thanks for kind of humoring me though (laughs) it's not i wouldn't say it's a holy number but a lot of girls like celebrate like sweet 16 it's a huge thing in brazil oh so that just like they have like quinceaneras there quinceanera literally means like 15 like turning 15. oh fuck you're right that's 15 <laughs> do they have the equivalent of that in brazil for people turning you know, 16 depending on which part of the country and they have a different word for it you know um there's a lot of small changes in in, in brazil like as you travel through brazil like dialect you know and so there i'm sure there's a few different words for it did you have a big 15th birthday oh you were here when you were 15 yeah but guys don't celebrate it's just the girls yeah. you probably spent your 15th birthday at the gym and then went home and just like pimply faced cuddled in a corner with a comic book or anime or something like that reading about dragons whatever yeah. whatever you do yeah, at the age yeah, of 15 yeah, something like that yeah <laughs> no I, I didn't even, i didn't even walk on on my commencement when i graduated high school i was training 
Wow. Would you have preferred to walk? Oh, no. No interest? No. What, what, what am I going to sit there for fucking forever and then walk up, they hand you an empty envelope and you walk off? What about for college? Um, I did go to that only because my mom came. Okay. That would have been a real dick move if your mom came right. and looked around. She and flew across the country and I'm like... Sorry at class? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today's topic. Well, after two weeks ago rolling with Paul. It made me think about, we haven't done any episodes yet on rolling with someone who's bigger than you. Well, actually we have. Every episode is a jiu-jitsu episode and so much of jiu-jitsu is about handling someone who's larger than you. But this episode, we're going to focus on it. And I think it will essentially be trying to minimize the effects of an opponent's size. Mm -hmm. Because you won't always be able to, you can't just take away any effect of a bigger opponent, but you can minimize the threat that that size has. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, if you do the right things, you are, it's, you, you could virtually negate their, the size or, you know, length or weight differences. If you're on their back, then you can get away, most of their size isn't going to yeah, do a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of little things you can do. That's kind of like a catch-22, right? Mm-hmm. If I say, hey, if, if you're rolling with somebody bigger, these are the things you should do to negate their size. Well, you're already behaving differently because of their size. So, you know, philosophical debate, are you really negating them or, you know, or not? Mm-hmm. Right. The first thing, the first thing we, when we talk about like negating different sizes and different strengths, lengths, weights, um, every attribute that we discuss when there's a disadvantage of will have different properties. And as long as we can nullify those properties, then that whatever attribute advantage they have disappears. So, you know, when we talk about um, the, the most, the two most common ones are, are size and strength, mm-hmm. right? This guy's so much bigger than me. He's not stronger than me. He's just big. There's just a lot of them to move. Or this person is just super, super strong and I cannot move them. I cannot do these things, right? So let's focus on one of them first. Let's say something like strength. Right. And, and with strength, we, before we talk any jujitsu, we need to talk about like, um, how muscles work. Right. So, um, for those of you that are listening, that don't know, I'm going to geek out a little bit here. Um, your muscles only pull, there's no pushing muscle in your entire body. Okay. So your muscle fibers only contract, they don't ever expand. So as an example, if you want to pull something to you, your act of pulling means your bicep contracts, pulls into itself, and it lifts your arms, right? If you want to push something, meaning, you know, move your hands away from your chest, let's say like in a bench press, your triceps are contracting, your chest is contracting, they're pulling into themselves and balling up, and that's what causes, it pulls your muscle, it pulls your your bones into a certain direction, and that's what pushes things, right? But the muscle itself only pulls, Okay. Okay. And the reason why that's important is since muscles can only pull, they have a very predictable working range. Meaning if the muscle is, think of the muscle as like a rubber band, right? If it's, if you overstretch the muscle, it becomes very weak. It can't pull onto itself. The same way that if you push the rubber, the rubber band all together and you ball it up, it loses all of its properties, right? So the muscles work much the same way. That's why if you see guys in the gym that lift a lot, they're muscle bound, they walk funny, they look really stiff. It's because they they overdeveloped their working range, okay? Which the working range is essentially 
if you think of, if you extend your arms, um, your muscle fully extended, you have a hundred percent extension, right? When you pull it up a little bit, that first 10% and the last 10%, um, are your dead zones where you don't have a lot of power and the more you lift, the more you work that 80% in between the two 10%, that's your working range and people overdevelop that. And essentially they get stuck in, mm-hmm. that, in that range, right? Why is all this important? Because it sounds like a bunch of mumbo jumbo. This is important because if I'm fighting somebody who's far stronger than me, I need to put them outside of their working range, right? Um, so if if they're always reaching for me, if they're always extending their arms 100% of their arms or 100% of their legs in order to get close to me, they don't have any power. The same way that if I can close the distance and eliminate their ability to move outside of their last 10%, then they also can't push me away or pull me away. And then become, they become weak, essentially. So far out, you're safe, and or very really, close. really, really close, you're, you're safe, safe, right? It's the in-between that kills you, right? It's when they have a slight bend on their elbow or a slight bend on their knee that they can pull very, very strongly or push very, very strongly. And, and that's when it, disadvantages occur. So if they're stronger than you, learn to manipulate that range. And all of a sudden, you'll feel you will seem far stronger to them and they will seem far weaker to you. And how, how do you manipulate when you have a behemoth in front of you? So it's easy to say work when they're fully extended or fully contracted. Is it timing that you just have to use to well, do that? Well, I mean, that's not the only way to deal with somebody with strength, right? But, but this is just one of the key things that we mm-hmm. need to work on. Um, let's say I'm going with somebody that's much, much bigger than me. I know that if they're reaching, they're weak. So even if they grab me, right, but I can keep that arm extended, they're weak. If they start to pull me, right, then maybe I can close that distance and get them outside of that working range. What I cannot allow myself is to fight the middle ground. That's the fight that becomes muscle to muscle and you lose. Okay. Um, there's, so, there's more ways of nullifying somebody's strength. The, the managing the distance, right, the muscle working range. If you, if you can keep them outside of their working range, they're weaker. If you make sure that every time that you're using your muscles, you're within your working range, it also makes you stronger, right? You don't ever overextend and you don't ever get too tight so you can't move. The next thing you can do to deal with strength and size is learning to use proper angles, meaning don't ever fight power against power. Okay, so if somebody's coming straight at you, even if you're, if you're in your working range and they're outside of their working range, even if you could outpower them, it's still stupid use of energy, right? You're still better off if they come straight at you to just sidestep and then either pull them or push them off off, off their center um, rather than just fight them head on. You know, mm-hmm. that's not, not a good approach. The, the other one that we talk about at class all the time, like when we talk about like attacking the center line, the idea there is to put the joint and, and the muscles out of alignment so that they're not firing correctly, which greatly reduces the working range. And then the the last one is the idea of um, occupying space, meaning if somebody wants to move in or through something or they want to move you to a certain spot, they cannot do that if that spot, that space is already occupied. How do you occupy and maintain occupation of that space when you have a bigger, stronger person. We, we, well, it's not a matter of power, right? So if I told you, hey, 
you know, go through that wall behind you. It's not that the wall, the wall doesn't have to be strong. It just has to be there. If that space is occupied for you to get through the wall, you're going to have to displace the wall. Mm. Right now you can say, well, a big guy can displace me. Not really. That's how I'd say it too. (laughs) Not really. Right. I mean, think about it. Like, um, think about it. If you're in bottomless side mount and you create your frames, right. And you framed the opponent and let's say you frame poorly, meaning your back, your shoulders are flat against the mat and you're framing your opponent up. You, your opponent can drive into you as much as he wants, but he'll never crush those frames unless he changes angles, which is a different issue. But if he's going straight into those frames, he'll never, ever, ever break your frames because that would imply that he put you through the floor. He displaced the floor by pushing so hard into you. You know, this is like not anime. Or that my frame is just weak. No, I mean, if you if you did a proper frame, it's never weak. It's not a matter of strength. It's a structural, you know, integrity there. It's not going to happen. Or like my toothpick arms just break. The buttons, the buttons just snap. <laughs> no, I don't think that would happen yeah, either. You say that, but we've rolled before and I've been like in your guard and I'll put, I'll, I'll get like grips on your gi and I'll like brace and you'll like pull me forward or like towards you and I've before been like, okay, I've got my frame. It's a strong frame. And there's a point where I feel like my forearms are, the bones are about to snap. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta bail in this frame, but I'm stuck in it. And like, and eventually I think I just like was able to give the frame up. So yes, bones are also a limiting factor to the strength of a frame. You know, but like bone is like 40 times denser than concrete. Like it would take a lot of force to, to, to break. Yeah. No one ever breaks bones. No, they do, but they're usually freak accidents. Yeah, but some of us have brittle bones. You have to remember that. Some of us have, like, bird bones. Well, you should start, you know, drinking more milk, eating more yogurt. I do. I have... Epidary. I wait. That's the thing. <laughs> I. That's what... Why do you think when I walk over during our water breaks at the gym, I have a jar, a mason's jar full of milk? I mean, that that's just my thing. I that always have... It. Yeah. But you don't keep it cold. There's like no ice cubes in there. No, I like, I like it room temperature. I like it to be very creamy. There's always a film on top. Perfect. Yeah. It's not homogenized. Yeah. I I can see that. Mm -hmm. That's why I always have a sour milk smell, but that's anyways, that's beside the point. Um, (laughs) If we're talking, yeah. So we're talking frames and a strong proper frame theoretically can't be broken. Right. And remember, in this example, this is a poor example, right? Where I said your back is against the, the mat, which is not a It is a bad frame. example because my back's never on the mat, right. bro. Right. Where it shouldn't be, right? It's not a proper frame. A proper frame, you'd have space behind you so that if your opponent manages to push into you, instead of being pinned on the ground, it pushes you away, right? But mm-hmm. the distance between you and them never closes. Right. Right. Um, so anyways, my, my grandfather and, and his challenge to the judo black belts the japanese you know guys he challenged them with the idea of proving that his jiu-jitsu was superior to the japanese's jiu-jitsu and and, and people are like well you know kimura was a judo black belt not a jiu-jitsu black belt take a deep breath and read and look up your history um we talked about did we is this was this in calculated chaos or was it in just jiu-jitsu that we talked about kano we, I think, have touched on him in this. Maybe gotcha. not as extensively, okay. but we'll do that eventually. So, but. so you know, Kano, Kano's judo 
was very, very similar to Japanese jiu-jitsu, right? He just called something different for different other reasons, and we'll talk about them when we cover Kano. Judo today is far different than Japanese jiu-jitsu was, and it's very different than what Kano's judo was, too. You know, it's a completely different beast now. Um, so now, if you say, oh, you know, but, but Kimura was a judo black belt, his black belt then is not the same thing as, let's say, a world champion's black belt today. They're, they're, they're different, completely different styles. Um, but nonetheless, he, he challenged them with the idea of proving that his jiu-jitsu, his style of jiu-jitsu was better than theirs. Um, he had no idea how big these guys were. He had no idea what their abilities were, you know, how young, how old. He just issued a challenge. And I wonder at the time how he really knew about them. Were they... Well, I mean, you, you knew the origins, right? I mean, for us, now it's history for him. It's a very direct line of who, who his brother's instructor learned from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it would be like if you if you asked me who my instructor is, like, I'm like, oh, it's, you know, Stambowski in Connecticut. And you're like, I'm going to challenge Stambowski, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You, Can you, you set that up? No. Okay, good. No, I think he would... He'd beat you down and then he would yell at me for putting you on the spot. Um, oh, do I want to sacrifice my body just to see <laughs> just to see him put you in your place? <laughs> so, no, not that badly. So, um, no. So, he challenged these guys. He, he had no idea how big they were. You know, Kimura sends his, his you know, second best student, comes out. And um, I believe my my grandfather it was either that that fight or the second fight one of the two he actually got tossed around quite a bit these guys were incredible on their feet and and my grandfather was not ready for it and if you look up the footage um on youtube anybody listening can look up the footage he got he gets ragdolled he's just he's just getting tossed and every time he gets up he gets tossed again i mean these are hard throws and, and my grandfather was not a slouch on his feet he was very good on his feet but these guys were just a different level and he just could not he could not deal with their size, their speed, their strength. Was it um, when they'd go down, was it, would they then be stood back up? No, they would, they would go down. And anytime my grandfather would try to do something on the ground, they would, they would stand up, which okay. would force my grandfather to get back up on his feet. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know if it was throw seven or throw 15 that my grandfather realized we need a better plan because every time these guys stand up, they're too fast, too quick, too strong. I cannot control them. I can't put them in a situation where it limits their physical ability and I'm getting, you know, beat up. And uh, I remember watching that fight when I was when I was younger and thinking, you know, the, the, the feeling that I had watching that fight when I was younger was the same feeling I had when, like, the Hulk picks up Loki in in one of the Avengers and he just like smashes him on the ground. <laughs> I was just like, Oh God, there goes my grandpa. <laughs> but, um, eventually my, my grandfather, um, yeah, you know, one of the times when he gets taken down and, and mind you, he wasn't avoiding the takedowns. He was trying to take the other guy down too, you know? Um, but eventually when he gets to the ground, he finds a way to close guard and he closes the guard. The guy cannot stand up. Right. Which that is the, for the first thing he did to eliminate the opponent's speed was to ground him. Right, he wrapped his legs around his body. All of a sudden, the guy could be fast, but anywhere he moved, he'd have to move with my grandfather attached to him. And then, very quickly, you know, my grandfather achieved collar collar grips, pulled him down, kind of broke him down to his, you know broke his posture down. All of a sudden, the opponent is with a poor posture and guard, which means 
everything is kind of out of alignment, muscles, bones, joints. They're not out of place. They're just not in a optimum place to, you know, be used, which makes you feel like, I mean, you, you've been to somebody's guard before to pull your head down to their chest and just hold your head down. is so tough. Yeah, it's, back up, you know? yeah, it's pretty demoralizing if someone <laughs> controls your posture from the bottom. Right. And, and it's like it takes no power on their end. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, works the second hand in the collar and he chokes him, you know, puts him out. Um, but, you know, so so he, he decided, hey, I'm going to control their speed. I'm going to control their posture and I'm going to find a way in. And he did. Um, and he couldn't with those bigger guys control on the feet. So he had to wait and his, the timing of that was, I have to wait till we're on the mat and then utilize right. that. There's as an opportunity as for possible. it. Right. Yeah. Right. And, um, the same around the same thing happened with, with Kimura, right. Um, he gets taken down and my grandfather fought, um, from guard for a long time. Um, the takedown, um, my grandfather did learn from his mistakes, right. Kimura was the biggest of them. He was, a guy, you know, roughly my size, maybe a couple inches shorter. And my grandfather learned, hey, if those other guys were not nearly as big as this dude can toss me around and it hurt, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get up again and get hurt, right? So my grandfather changed tactics very quickly. He he made sure to keep the fight on the ground. Um, his frames were good enough and his leg work was good enough. His hip motion was good enough that Kimura struggled to kind of just, just hold him down, you know, and it and became what they were doing to him on their feet, he was doing to them on the ground. He was working within his working range with proper angles, with proper wedges, with proper um, use of his muscles and his body alignment. And he was making sure that they were, him, Kimura was uh, fighting in, in poor positions, meaning his body was not in the right frame, his angles were off, he was, always a little bit outside of his working range and, and life became difficult. It, it became increasingly frustrating to Kimura until he, you know, he sunk the Kimura in and, and so on. Mm-hmm. That's hence where Kimura came from. Yeah. Uh, when they were competing, I forget, was he in Gi also? Yeah. Yeah. For, 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 I think for most of my grandfather's fights, he was in the Gi. Kimura in the Gi. Oh, Kimura was in the Gi. He was also yeah. in it? Yeah. Okay. After that fight, did they ever train together again? No, so when Kimura challenged, you know, when Kimura accepted the challenge and his first, uh, his first press release upon arriving to Brazil was if the little, if the, cause he didn't know how big my grandfather was, right? Those guys that went back and in shame to him and say, hey, this Brazilian is really good. He beat us, right? They didn't tell him how big he was. And, and when he met my grandfather for the first time, his uh, first press statement post that was, um, he said, if the little guy survives more than three minutes, he wins. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, the fight was like 14 minutes and some change, 1445 or something like that. And, um, Kimura, uh, my grandfather officially never tapped his brother through in a towel from the Kimura. Uh, my grandfather's shoulder was all torn. Um, and my grandfather's only statement was, uh, to his response to Kimura saying, hey, if the little, if the little guy starts three minutes, he wins. My grandfather said the only way he loses is uh, if, if Kimura shows him something he's never seen before, which is why the Kimura lock is now called the Kimura. It was in honor of that, that weakness, okay. right? Um, but Kimura visited my grandfather um, after the fight and visited him in the hospital before he left. And he asked my grandfather, he said, my grandfather's jutsu was, was amazing. And that he asked him if he would go to Kodokan to teach 
his style of jujitsu there. And and Kodokan at the time was the in many ways the mecca for martial arts in the world. I mean, that's where if you really wanted to be a good fighter of any kind, that's where where you would go. Yeah, and my grandfather just said no. Baller move. Yeah. No thanks. I I'm busy. Yeah, I got this. <laughs> and and uh, you know Kimura stated uh, you know his exit interview or his exit you know press conference. He said you know even though he won, that my grandfather could consider himself the winner because he did last far longer than he thought. Right. And a lot of people don't know this, but Kimura went on to retire from martial arts after this and changed his name to Frank Sinatra. And that's that's Frank Sinatra's origin story. A lot of people don't know that right. Frank Sinatra was Kimura and a great martial artist in his past. Yeah, yeah he lost a lot of weight. You know, he lost a lot of weight. He became a little wider. He he became a small Italian man. Yeah, uh, with a, an amazing voice and yeah. connections to the mob. Yep, we're all about education <laughs> here. So that's a real life example that people can look up and see for people going through their daily training, experiencing this, let's, I'll give you some scenarios. You tell me what I do to get out of it. What, what I do or what you see people, mistakes you see them make while they're trying to get out of it. So let's say little me, I'm on my back. It's, it's bad. I'm on my back. Big guy mounts. He's on top. He is, his knees are nearly up to my armpits high on my chest and I'm trying I, I just can't my elbows are above his knees what do I do right so I'm assuming he's heavy too he is right and he has a big beard it smells okay. he probably hasn't showered for a while okay um, I does don't know he, if this does he have both hands in the collar too and he's choking no he doesn't oh, have both okay. hands in the collar he actually has one hand and a hook Oh, okay. One yeah. hand and a hook. Okay. Yeah. It's not a sharp hook. Just, just, a, hook. just a dull one. Dull got one. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So. so, you know, the the big issue for me in that scenario is not so much how big they are, is how off how off your position is to where you should be. Meaning your muscles are all, your, your joints are in the wrong place for your muscles to fire correctly, right? So anytime your elbows go above your shoulders, generally speaking, the shoulder joint becomes very weak. Your muscles don't fire very well because... At that point, for most people, um, they're getting near their end range of their working range for their muscles around their shoulder. Right. So the first thing I would tell you is to the best of your ability to bring your heels to your butt, to shoulder walk towards your head. And then your only fight is not to defend your arms, is not to bump, is not to do anything. Your bumping has no power. If they're that that far up on your mount, your, your hips have no power. They're too far up. So you, your fight becomes not to do anything wild, but rather to just get yourself into a position where you can frame well, you can move well, your muscles can work the best way. So for that particular scenario, you know, bring your heels to your butt, shoulder walk away, shimmy your way up north towards your head. As you move towards your head, there's going to be a space created by his knees and your armpit. Once that space is created, then you need to start occupying it with your arms as best as possible. A little bit at a time, tricep, tricep, eventually to your elbows. Once your elbows are inside the knees, then you're back in a working range, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, their hips are going to be low enough that your hips have power. You can bump, you can do trap and rolls, you can shrimp out, you can bump over. Because at that moment, you've recovered the position well enough to where you can 
move in a way that is efficient. So first thing you need to do goes back to what you said before. You're at your range of motion. Right. So you have to get back to something that's, you have to get back to, so you have a stronger stronger position. Right. It's so, got to be workable, right? All right. And so you do that by shouldering up. So they essentially, you're climbing up. So that means they're lower, lower on your body. Right. That gives that gives me the space to then, I... Bring your elbows down. Bring the elbows down. Right. How, I guess I need to get, have them low enough on my body that I can get my elbows and then right. start to like work right. the Absolutely. skinny part of my elbow just in. Right. And, 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 and the more active the opponent becomes, the tougher this is, right? So if you create a little bit of space and then they walk their knees up and they take that space away, it makes life very difficult. Um, but that's still a win on your part, right? If he's having to chase to maintain a position, he can't advance. Okay. Right? So if you're in that kind of that shitty position you described, even if you just shoulder walking and then you create an inch or two and then they have to walk that inch or two to take it up, it means that they're not moving forward. Or if they do, it's sloppy, right? So, um, and then like I said, your fight becomes to cover that little space you gain, an inch, two inches, three inches, however, cover it with your arms, with your elbows, with your shoulder, turn into it however you can because that space needs to increase and never decrease. If every time you walk away, you don't control that space anymore and they walk up, they, they remove that space. Okay. Back to square one. Okay. So I, I get down, I, I get my elbows in. Okay. I'm in a pretty good spot now. You're, you're I, in a working spot, right? You can actually do things here. Right. I wouldn't say good. Good spot. It's a, it's good it's, relatively speaking. Right. It's a defensible spot, right? It's a position that you can defend their attacks efficiently. It's a position that you can escape out of efficiently. It's a position that allows you the ability to turn the ties of the battle if you if you if the opportunity presents itself. If somebody's way up in your mount like you described earlier, even if they completely royally fuck it up, like you can't take advantage of it because you can't move. Mm-hmm. So what I usually would like to do in that spot is I'm going to bump, I'm going to throw my hips up and then I'm going to, ex- I'm going to try to, after you brought your elbows down, after I bring my elbows yeah. in, mm-hmm. yep. Bump. And then I will put my hands on the hips sometimes mm-hmm. and extend mm-hmm. to create a little bit of space to bring like a knee through. Right. So far so good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's a very viable way to go. It's a viable way to go. All right. What if you're a bigger guy on bottom? Everything I'm doing, I guess, right now, I'm thinking of a person my size. What if you're a big guy who's weak? And so me. you... Oh, stop it. You always say... <laughs> me. Weak little me. Okay. Yeah. So in that scenario <laughs> where I push them up, I, small guy, I can pull my knee through. It's easy. I don't need a lot of space. Right. A large guy who's maybe not as quick and has to have more space... What's what? What do you say to them? Because this isn't just about small guys. This is also about weak guys. Weak guys. Yeah. So like me. <laughs> um, so you know, for a long time, I, I thought in this, the same example that you put right, where you frame the hips, you bump up, you push them off, and you try to get to like ashigarami so your legs come in. Um, for for years, um, as a, as a blue belt and purple belt, I would try to do things like that, and when I could not. I'd get very frustrated. And my answer was, I just got to get stronger. You know, mm-hmm. if I, if I can bench press 300 pounds, I can push the guy right off, right off me and I can get my legs in. And, and that's not true, right? Because I still cannot bench press more than a hundred pounds, but I can move people much bigger than me. 
into the positions I need to, right? And, and it goes back to the example I used in class the other day, right? Anytime you do a push-up, there's two things that are happening. It's a perspective, right? From your perspective, you're pushing yourself up off the ground, right? From Earth's perspective, they're pushing you away from them, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, if somebody's bigger than you, and they don't have to be big as relative, right? They have to be big enough that you feel incapable of moving them. If I bump and I try to push their hips and... Nothing happens. Right. I should be able to move myself. Fair? Mm-hmm. So instead of bumping straight up, which means, again, like we talked about, that I'm being pushed straight down into the mats, I bump to one side. I arch to one side when I do it. That way... If I try to push them and they don't move because they're too too big or I'm too weak, I can still momentarily hold them in place while I move myself away, right? And then by moving myself away, I achieve the same distance you created by pushing them off of you. Okay. Right. I can either push you or I can pull my or I can drive myself away from you. Okay. See what you forgot about this scenario is he has a hook. So as you're doing that, he comes down and smacks you with it. Oh dang! So you're not taking in. You're not taking this seriously. You're forgetting about all the different things. Or he comes down and he smothers you with his gross beard. So game yeah. over. Yeah, I've, I've had this, the gross beard thing before. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fun. I, I didn't have the gross beard, but I've grappled with people with very gross beards before. It just has that funk to it. Just that smell or makes you question the last time it was washed. Yeah, and there's like bits of stuff in there. Right. Don't get me wrong. I, I love and I respect someone who can grow a good beard. So, so here, but not everyone can walk. <laughs> here's the thing. Like you can grow a beard to me. It's just like having long hair. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If you take care of it. Right. Right. If you clean it, you wash it, you maintain it, you do something to it. If it's just long and scraggly, then it's just fucking long and scraggly. And that shit's disgusting. That Let's not hate now. on the people who have lo- even long and scraggly. It's like greasy and yeah, it's dirty it's just dirty like, yeah that's that's what that's where the problem lies it'd be, it'd be no different than if i'm rolling with somebody with slightly medium to long hair and you know i'm trying to operate with a controller system and i take mm-hmm, a whiff and you. it actually works Coming against out me June 25th yeah it works against me i take the big whiff and then i get knocked out from the smell that's no good right yeah it's no different than the beard yeah it's just a nest for Bacteria, ringworm, yeah. everything else under yeah. the sun. Yeah, like I said, now if you take care of it, then hey, kudos to you. But, but if you don't, if you don't take care of it, yeah. if you're that guy who just, just let it grow and don't wash it, don't do anything to it, and it's just oily and dirty, and there's a little bit of food left over from lunch, and that's a problem. Yeah. This is a PSA. Wash your beards. <laughs> grow them. Grow them long. Grow them beautiful. We we support you and your beards, but just make sure you maintain yeah, those fuckers. Just take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to do one more scenario. Okay. Okay. Uh, you are inside. You know, actually, no, we'll do this. When I was challenged by the grappling dads a couple weeks ago and we were rolling. Uh, Which, by the way, that's a perfect example of this entire, this entire episode. That's right. You can go on Facebook and watch a video of... You should share it again when this episode comes out. Look at you. Look at you. You know what? I, I am our, My credit for this show is editor or producer or whatever. You are our social media manager. Oh, I'm not very good at that. Manager of social media outreach. 
<laughs> it's gonna fail. I'm not very good at social media, <laughs> but but I'll try. I'll, I'll share when this comes out. Okay, there there we go. Um, yeah. So you can watch the video on our website uh, or our Facebook page, and it's me rolling with Paul from Grappling Dads, who's bigger than me, definitely stronger. Put on a ton of ton of muscle power. Yeah, we didn't agree to like he he didn't tell me that he'd been working out. He was, he was already about 20 25 pounds bigger than you. And now he's like easily 50 pounds bigger than you. And I think the last few times I've seen him, he's been wearing, I don't know, baggy Cosby-esque sweaters, so you can't see his his physique underneath, but <laughs> but then he he walks in, he walks in, you know what, Cosby-esque sweaters. Maybe he was also putting Cosby-esque materials in my drinks when we were hanging out and I couldn't remember. What, it could be. That's why I couldn't it remember could his be, physique. Yeah. Yeah, so he walks into the, the gym and just in his rash guard. And, the, and looks like Captain America. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, he was fucking jacked. I, yeah, ooh, I could have worked out for six months too. Um, I didn't. I think he had this the, in the works. I think yeah, six months ago. It was premeditated. Ago, yeah, it was premeditated. When you told him, hey, I think Andrew and I are going to do a podcast. I think that's when he started. He's like, I'm going to plant this seed about four months in. And then I'll be huge. That's what it was. Yeah. He. This has been a whole six-month plan. For me, it was just a fun, oh, yeah, in three weeks, let's do it. To him, he had a picture in his house of me as he was doing push-ups. Yeah, and he said he was lifting at work, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I strike that much fear into his heart that he had to do that. <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you're, you guys, your match was a good example of, of, of you know, what proper positioning, proper angles, proper a framing. Perfect jujitsu. Is that what you were going to say next? As much as a force stripe belt <laughs> could. <laughs> yeah, so you guys could watch it. it it's, it's not the most thrilling fight. It's not the most technically sound. But it is an example of small guy and a big guy and the small guy at least surviving. I, I think you did more than surviving, but that's okay. I did too, but I'm just trying to be humble. Oh. So you could watch that. If we're going along those lines, Paul was also in, he was in Mount for a while, covered that. He had Neon Belly for a second, but not too long. I think he was inside control for a while. He was inside control because he got like a paper cutter for, for yeah, a Yeah, like, for like about a minute he was inside Mount, yeah. Yeah. With that big, heavy guy, side control, and they're grabbing onto the to like let's say your shoulder and they're not only are they heavy but they know how to use that weight and they're just kind of they're they're pulling themselves into you so you feel every ounce of that weight. So you're talking about like if they're inside mount with a cross face and then say an underhook mm-hmm. you're pulling in and life is miserable. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. It I is. get that question all the time. People are, you know, that's the most common position that people that don't train with me um, on a regular basis if they do privates or if I go to a seminar like that's almost guaranteed to come up at some point. I'm stuck inside mount. How are you stuck inside mount? They cross face and get the underhook and they push really tight and it's like the shoulder of justice. Okay, let's go through this again. I think the reason is because that it's one that's easier to maintain as opposed to let's say neon belly. Neon belly takes skill. Sucks. But a lot of people it hurts when they get it on you, it hurts for a short period of time and then you can move around and they lose it. Not a lot of people could maintain. Yeah, they don't have to do the belly. <laughs> right, yeah. So a lot of people don't maintain as well. You don't have to be as technically sound to maintain a good side control. Right, right. So, you know, in a situation like that, the, the first thing, again, we, we got to get back to working range, right? The problem with the cross-face underhook um, dilemma inside mount is you're generally speaking flat on your back, which means that even if you are able to push them, 
you're pushing yourself into the ground, so you're pinned. Um, generally speaking, the cross face means your head is immobile or at least limited mobility. So if your head can't move, your body, generally speaking, cannot move either. The body only goes where the head leads, you know. Um, the underhook does prevent that even if you're able to get a range of motion, even if you're able to get on your side a little bit, you cannot get underneath the opponent because he's underneath you. And and because of that, it kind of creates a, like a trifecta of issues. So the, the very first thing I would do, in a worst case scenario where they have a really tight cross face, they have a really tight underhook, they're really kind of crushing your face, you feel super flat, the first thing I would do is find a way to alleviate the shoulder pressure. Okay, Not because it hurts, but especially if you've been grappling for a while, it registers, but it's not going to be something, generally speaking, that you tap to. But um, more so so that your head can move. If your head cannot move, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So to alleviate the pressure, I would do bicep to the crown of their head. So you have one arm that's in front of their face, right? That bicep would, you know, basically we would cross face them from the bottom. And then we would take our elbow out towards their head and basically push their head on top of ours. Uh, is this inside arm you're talking or you're at their outside arm? The arm that they can see. Okay. Right. And, and what I'm doing there is I'm pushing their head or pulling their head rather towards the top of my head. The reason for that is because even if they resist, I should be able to move their head closer to mine. When that happens, they lose range of motion and their shoulder pressure goes away considerably because, again, if their head is coming closer to their shoulder, their shoulder has to kind of move away. You can't, two objects can't occupy the same space at the same time. So it does take a little bit of the pressure off and then sometimes it's enough pressure, uh, enough of a relief of pressure that you can move your head, right? So once your head can move, now you can start, you know, doing other things. The, the next step for me then would be to get myself in a working range. Generally speaking, in your scenario, I'm assuming that the inside arm, the one that's underneath the opponent, is out and it's being kind of crushed above our head. So in that scenario, I would bring my heels to my butt. I would walk my head north as I pull his head over my head. And that's so that my elbow starts to come back down by my shoulder and then eventually underneath my shoulder so that that arm can be used. Once my arms are used, his head is, you know, he's got limited mobility because of his head. I can start creating frames. I can start rotating on my side unpinning myself from the mat once my back is free their head is you know limited range of motion and i have frames then life becomes easier because now i have room to move mm-hmm. and i can move myself from underneath them i can pummel for an underhook i can shrimp away i can get guard back uh, there's a number of options except turtling don't ever turtle that's not an option what's well, going to have to be because I mean we'll do an episode on turtling and we, uh, you, you'll you have to play the role of the guy who loves the turtle I and can't I can't why do you hate turtles so much because nothing good ever comes out of turtling ever what do proponents of turtling say to you know, that you know, statement you know what's the best argument for turtling the okay. two best arguments for turtling are they don't score on you if you turtle when, you pass, when they pass your guard and then the second is they can't really hurt me here. Those are the two best arguments. Nobody says, I went to turtle and I had this super cool, amazing move and I tapped them. They don't like roll forward and like scrape the person off their back and then end up in a cool spot. I mean, spot. sometimes they can. But generally speaking, it's stupid to expose yourself to the worst position in jujitsu in hopes of getting out of a 
bad position. So if you're with someone who says, oh, I love to turtle, I, I, it's it's one of my spots. People can't do anything. And then I transition to this. Is that your favorite thing to then just crush oh. their spirit? Oh, yeah. 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 Because it's, it's like an easy back take. Yeah. What do you do with, for someone who loves to turtle? And they say, oh, you, you can't do anything if I turtle. I'll just roll. I'll scrape you off. What's, what's your first go-to move against that person? Take their back and I make sure that they understand that they're not getting out unless I want to get out. And then I look for a submission. Wow. You, you despise it. Oh, I do. We, you know what? We will do an episode on turtling. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> just the, so, uh, the whole episode will be a minute long. It doesn't have to be on the pros. It could be you just hating on it. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best to research the pros and, and we'll have a, uh, a debate. Yeah, we can. That's fine. <laughs> that could be fun. Okay. Well, before we end, I would just like to touch on something. Um, you a, a couple times I've tried to get you to decide which Disney princess you are. Oh, Jesus. Are you playing up that goddamn quiz? <laughs> and you've been so stubborn and you won't do it. So our our friend, listener of the podcast, David Sodier. Dave, David, I'm sorry. It's I, I know that's not how you say it, but that's just how we're saying it for now. Um, David, we're no longer Sodier. That sounds a little fancier. He sent us a link to a Disney princess quiz. So... We're just gonna run through it, um, and we're gonna see who you who you are inside. For those of you that are listening, Andrew looks very happy right now. <laughs> I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm happier than I've been all week. Favorite weekend activity is curling up with a book, exploring a farm farmer's market, cooking, putting my feet up, anything outside, a walk in the woods, alone time, hanging with friends, grappling. Okay. All right. You can't do that. You have to choose. I hate you so much. You have to choose one of these. I have to choose one of those. Yeah, oh. it's a multiple choice. How did you pass any tests growing up? If you didn't, if you didn't, um, the answer I want is not on this scantron. What should I do? Right. Um. So read those again. Curling up with a book, exploring a farmer's market, cooking, putting my feet up, anything outside, a walk in the woods, alone time, hanging with friends. By hanging with friends. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. The animal who will lead my, well, I'll put, I'll do a second, uh, second person. All right, the animal who will lead your inevitable royal parade, oh my god, is <laughs> a raccoon, a fish, a tiger, a dragon, a horse, an owl, an alligator, a chameleon. What kind of choices are those? Well, obviously they're all choices that are going to lead you to a certain Disney princess. Raccoon, fish, tiger, dragon, horse, owl, alligator, chameleon. I'm going to go with an owl just because why not? Okay. They're mean assholes. Owl. Boom. The most important quality Jesus. you look for in a prince is? I, I don't look for quality <laughs> in princes. <laughs> Charm, kindness, dreaminess. Um, you're going to go dreaminess. So that's I chose that one for you because oh, okay. I know you wouldn't answer it. No. <laughs> Which is which of these outfit elements are you most likely to wear? Okay. Okay. Sweats, a dress, heels, glass slippers, headband, necklace, a skirt, a vest. Play sweats. Yeah, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Your favorite place to burst into song is a no forest, way. a field of flowers, <laughs> the beach. I'm picturing you just bursting into song in all these locations <laughs> and every single one is funny. <laughs> On the go. In your room, while doing chores, under a willow tree, 
I don't sing. I don't sing. That's an option. I really want to choose under a willow tree, but we'll go. I don't sing. <laughs> Your favorite hairstyle is a stylish bob, a high ponytail, long, really long, bangs, sleek and straight, half up, half down, a top knot, practical. I don't know. Practical. Pra- practical. Man, your face, it looks like it looks like someone is scraping the bottom of your feet with like a cheese grater. Pretty much. Someday you want to be a baker, a business owner, a fashion designer, a zoologist, a singer, a writer, an athlete, a CEO. Fashion designer. All right. Okay. In one word, your style is fun, classic, timeless, retro, bohemian, vintage, functional, colorful, functional. Functional. It's always functional. I live in a castle, cottage, small town, big city. You live in a cottage, actually. Yeah. It's 4 p.m. That means it's time to hit the gym, take a stroll, have tea, work on my chess game, go to the gym. Yeah, it's going to be the gym. My favorite color out of the following is, oh, no. They don't. They actually have the colors instead of oh, the names. Oh, good luck. <laughs> so I'm colorblind. Severely. For, for people listening. I don't see black and white, but colors are just, <laughs> just a little more subjective to me than other people. So your favorite color is oh, gray, see. light gray, let's see it. dark gray, <laughs> uh, very dark gray, green. I don't know how I'm showing you. I'll go, just go, tell you. Just go upper, upper, oh. upper left. Green. Green. Blue. Yellow. Orange, red. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I would probably go green. Although the one of the colors changed when you touched it. Oh, okay. I was going to say, wait, was yeah. gray there it before? It threw me off for a second. All right. <laughs> there Great. you go. All right. Are you ready? No. <laughs> Your Vanilla P. Von Schweetz. Who is that? Yeah, who the fuck is that? Oh, I think it's the girl from Wreck-It Ralph. You're strong, fun, and an absolute legend on the racetrack. You're always up for an adventure, and you approach every challenge with positivity and curiosity. You're our hero. Wow. Not okay. even heroin. Okay. H- have you seen Wreck-It Ralph? No. I okay. need to. I haven't seen that one. Uh, it's not a bad movie if you're watching a kid's movie or Disney one. Um, I think Amy... Uh, oh shit, what's her name? Amy... What's the comedian? Black uh, Schumer. S- no, not Amy. Sil- Sil- Sarah Silverman. Sarah That's it. Silverman. Yeah. Jesus. Sarah Silverman. <laughs> Up and coming comedian. That's why I couldn't remember. Yeah. 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 Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Okay. Well, we ended it with that. Thank you. Uh, we now know who Croiler is, and we're not friends. And I will find another quiz for him to take, one that's much, much worse. And (laughs) like I said before, I will enlist your wife if you force me to. Oh, my God. If I I don't want to do it, but if you make me, I will. (sighs) All right. All right. All right. Well, that's it for today, everyone. Goodbye.